Welcome to The Good Good Life with Jan Jones. Together, we will journey through self-discovery and fulfillment in life. Here's your host, Jan Jones. Welcome, everyone, to The Good Good Life. I am your host, Jan Jones, and I am so excited that you are choosing to spend this time with me. You are not going to regret it today because we have a phenomenal guest with me today on the show. His name is Joseph Grinney, but I want to make sure everyone out there is awake, alert, alive, enthusiastic, because you're going to want to be, and you will be, after we talk about communication with one of the world's, yes, the world's leading experts. I have to tell everyone, I am a little starstruck today. Joseph Grinney is a rock star in the learning and development and organizational excellence world. I am one of his certified facilitators with Crucial Conversations. He is the author of so many books, he is also a four-time New York Times best-selling author. So um, you are really in for a treat today, and I am so excited. I'm not even going to go into so much more of his bio and his introduction because I want you to hear the real meat of the show today, and it's all going to be from Joseph. So Joseph, welcome. Welcome to the show. Well, Jan, I'm, I've been looking forward to today. Well, we really appreciate your graciousness in sharing your time and your insight. So, as I mentioned to our listeners, you have co-authored Crucial Conversations, Crucial Accountability, Influencer, and Change Anything. And I believe there's about to be, or already has been, a third edition release of Crucial Conversations. So this is really the area that I want to focus on today for our listeners, um, I know and believe and was raised in a family that communication is key. And so there's a whole concept in this book and in the training about really starting with heart and how communication starts with heart. And I want to get into that. But first, I really want you to share a little bit about the book, the new release, and what was the inspiration to actually write Crucial Conversations? Oh, boy, that's a that's a whole big topic. Thank you. Yeah. Um, well, the the, the the simplest version of the story is that we've tried to study what makes social systems work. And, you know, social system might sound like an academic word, but it's it's really every group of people you care about. So it's your marriage, it's your family, it's a team at work, it's your neighborhood, community, church, you name it. So any social social system has a purpose, has a function, and often they don't achieve what they're intending to achieve. So in a family, we're not as happy as we want to be. We don't have the intimacy we wish we did. In a neighborhood, there's not the sense of community that we like. Or in an organization, we're not getting the results that we wish that we did. What we did was we spent 35 years trying to study what gets in the way of people achieving the intended goals of a social system. And we were looking for what we called moments of disproportionate influence. We were looking for moments that, that mattered more than any others, that had an outsized effect on whether or not your marriage works, your family works, or your company works. 
And time and time again, what we found is that when somebody needs to talk about something emotionally or politically risky, that's the moment. Mm. Because how we show up in those moments affects all the rest of what happens in that social system far more than most anything else. And so we began paying very close attention to how do people need to show up in those moments in order to move things forward? And, and what are some of the mistakes we frequently make? So that's what led to crucial conversations. Oh, I love it. And I love how you really explain social systems, because you're right. We may not consider that our community group, our family, our friends circles, these are social systems. And it's really interesting how people do show up, because when everything is great and people are getting along, it's pretty easy to have open communication. But like you said, those disproportionate moments where, and this is, this is something I believe is critical for our listeners to know, and hopefully they're going to go out and buy this book, but um, there are three elements that really make the conversation crucial that you all have written about. And it is those opposing opinions and those strong emotions and the high stakes. So speaking of all of that, why do you think think it is so difficult for people to have these kinds of crucial conversations. We know those elements are involved, but what what have you all learned about why it's just so hard for us as people to do this? Yeah, well, let's, uh, uh, I'll answer that, but let's just give a case in point. So, you know, let's just say, imagine you're a church, imagine that you're a churchgoer. And, uh, and this is a real situation that happened. I was sitting in a church service one day, and there was a group of people sitting in front of me and a woman sitting to the right of me. And somebody in the group of people sitting in front of me started having body problems. They started making a bunch of noises, and I won't be more specific than that, but noise after noise after noise. And I'm telling you, the woman sitting next to me was beside herself. She was upset. She was disgusted. She was, and she wasn't in a church service anymore. She was in the middle of whatever was going on in this person's body in front of her. And that's these moments. So when you talk about high stakes, strong emotion, opposing opinions, she needed to do something, say something, or just manage herself differently. She was not liking what was going on. And that social system, this church, which you would assume the intended goal was to help to improve and strengthen her soul, it wasn't doing it. It was not happening for her. In fact, she was becoming a worse person moment by moment in that situation. And so we show up in these moments, and and for her, if the appropriate thing, and I'm saying if, if the appropriate thing would have been for her to talk to somebody and address something that was going on that she was not comfortable with, then part of our problem is that we are so jacked up on adrenaline and filled with judgment and loathing that that conversation would not go well. And knowing that, what we tend to do is say nothing. We, we act it out instead of talk it out. So I act disgusted. I act frustrated. I storm out of the meeting. Or And this happens at, church, at, at work as well. Somebody lets you down consistently. You've got a special meeting. You've been planning it for months. And everyone's supposed to show up. And two of your key stakeholders aren't there. Yeah. And you're filled with judgment and disgust and anger. And and the question is, what's going to happen next? Well, if you don't talk it out, you will act it out. You'll feel frustrated and upset. You'll probably look for petty revenge against them. If you do talk it out, probably all those emotions are going to color what you do. And that's probably not going to go well. So we seem to think that the only two options we've got are either talk about it badly or say nothing. And and what we were looking for in our research on crucial conversations is, is there a middle path? Is there a way to talk about it in a way that is absolutely honest? 
that doesn't sugarcoat your concerns. So if you feel like those two sponsors of your big meeting betrayed you, you need to be able to express what you need to be able to express, but doing so in a way that strengthens the relationship. And that's the golden goal that we're after. How can you be absolutely honest, but absolutely respectful at the same time? Hmm. I think that is so key. And thank you, Joseph, for explaining that. And I love the case example you shared because these emotions, they do get stirred up in every situation, including church. And I love the question you asked about the two key stakeholders. If they don't show up and you feel betrayed, but you've got to go forward with the presentation, then what is that going to do to you? As the presenter, when your emotions, you, you, you said it so beautifully, we're just all filled with adrenaline from the loathing and the betrayal and the emotions behind it. Um, mm. And so being able to talk about it and being respectful, these are the lessons that can transform form our lives from your book. I can speak personally, um, being certified to teach it, living it, still practicing it. I mean, I you and me both, Jan. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I wanted to ask that because that's one thing I also love about the book. It's very real. You know, it's not a, a, a Candyland, Disney World. Oh, this is going to always work perfectly. Um, and I was curious, do you still have little missteps, even though mm. you have really become the expert on this? Well, kind of you to ask if I have little missteps. <laughs> um, you on the spot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and e emotions uh, make, make failures of all of us, if not if not properly managed. And yes, you know, our most intimate relationships are the ones we struggle with the most. And isn't that ironic? It's the ones that matter most in which we do the worst. And so my relationship with my wife, we're empty nesters. Um, we have 34 years in our marriage and a lot of experience with one another. And, and yet there are till, still times where a certain thing she'll do gets past some of my consciousness and I'll have an emotional response to it. And I can respond in an acerbic, a biting, a sarcastic way. And, and, and so uh, it, it's, it, this is lifetime work. I, I, I really do believe that these are the crucibles of our souls that these moments and how we learn to show up with authenticity and honesty, but responsibility as well, really are what shape who we are as human beings more than most any other moment. It's not the temptation on whether or not I eat chocolate. It's the it's the temptation on whether or not I impose my emotions on someone else or take responsibility for them. Oh, that was beautiful. These are the crucibles of our souls, the way that we show up in those moments. You know, there is a quote and... Um, Oh, who said it is slipping my mind, but, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing it, but basically the attributes that irritate us about other people really reveal a lot about who we are. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, this is just, these are those lessons that really do reveal who we are. And I would imagine, I know for me personally, having these tools in my own personal toolbox from Crucial Conversations, also being able to teach it to others, it, it makes me more aware more quickly when I do mess up. And then, you know, we can go and we can apologize and hopefully not do much, uh, do too much damage 
to the relationship. So you mentioned these crucibles of our soul and showing up in these really difficult moments. I want to touch on with our listeners the communication and how it really does start with us and with our heart and how we go into really every day, because sometimes we can plan these conversations and sometimes they just pop up out of the clear blue. So talk to our listeners a little bit about how it really does start with our heart. Yeah, thank you for teeing that up. And and I couldn't agree more that this is a a core principle that, that really the success or failure of your crucial conversations has less to do with your skill and more to do with your motive. Now, skills matter. I don't want to take those off the table. And there's a lot in the book that can help with that. But but about 80% of it is about what's your motive. And the problem is that during our crucial conversations, we become unconscious of our motive. We don't even realize what it is that is animating us. So I'll give you a quick example. I, I, I co-authored most of the books that you referred to earlier with a gentleman by the name of Carrie Patterson, beloved friend and colleague. And we had this process. We'd written together so much that we had a process we used. Uh, One of us would write the first draft, send it to the other. The other would make a bunch of changes and edits, send it back. And then we'd meet together to discuss it. So this happened. I sent one to Carrie. Carrie did a bunch of rewrites. He sent it back. I sent it back to him. And anyway, so it was a Saturday night, 7 o'clock, and we had our scheduled time to discuss the chapter. I called him up. And I said, so, Carrie, did you get the chapter? He said, yes, I did. And I said, what would you think? He said, you ruined it. And I said, I didn't ruin it. And I fixed it. He said, you didn't fix it. It's disjointed now. It goes from A to Z to B and back and forth. And he says, it makes absolutely no sense. I said, it was vapid. It was pointless. It was. So here we are. We're 14 seconds into this conversation. And the irony of this, Jan, please don't tell anybody else. The irony is the book we were working on was Crucial Conversations. (laughs) And and so, you know, let's, let's pull back the lens with your listeners. What happened to my motive? My motive when I started the call was to create a great chapter of a book that could bless lives. That was my motive. But five seconds into that conversation, it was no longer about trying to bless lives and create a great chapter. It was about something else. And I want to just give a silent moment for the listeners to try to articulate themselves. You know, what would they say? What would you say was Joseph's motive five or 10 seconds into this? Well, as you think about it, the motive starts to be about being right about saving face, about winning, about... So so that's what my motive started to shift to. And as you're aware, Jan, from what you and I teach in Crucial Conversations, there are seven predictable motives that, and, and please listen to the word, that possess us. I mean, this is just like, you know, a demonic possession in these moments. There are seven motives that just take control of you in these moments. Some of them are about keeping the peace or just trying to, you know, uh, punish, or, you know, you name it. But but these motives start to take control. And if you were to stop me in the middle of that debate with Carrie and say, Joseph, what's your motive? I would tell you, I want this chapter to be really good. And I would believe that that was true, even though it's the furthest thing from the truth. It becomes about saving face, being right, winning, keeping the peace, uh, retreating, and so forth. And so... The first challenge that we've got in getting better at crucial conversations is being conscious of those motives. It's being aware when they take control of us and then having a mental strategy for shifting back to a healthy place. Mm. And, you know, thank you for your vulnerability and your pure honesty, because 
I think it gives every single one of us peace knowing that even the authors and the experts, we're all still human at the end of the day. And when our emotions kick in, we can really mess up. But being equipped, again, like I've said, being equipped with this knowledge and and checking what the motive is, it is a brilliant and beautiful way to kind of stop in your tracks. And I would imagine when you zoomed out and you're like, okay, wait a minute, Joseph, what does Joseph really want? I want a great chapter and I want the world to be blessed by it. But Carrie probably didn't think that was what you wanted, right? No, well, he could tell what I wanted and he could he could <laughs> see it all over my behavior. And, and you pointed us in the right direction there, Jan. The, the intervention that works best in these moments is asking yourself two really introspective questions. The first is, what am I acting like I want? Mm. Sometimes that's a, a tonic. It's a, It helps calm me and it raises my level of awareness so I'm not in my body and my emotions. I can stand above them for a moment. I can look at my behavior. I'm raising my voice. I'm arguing. I'm not listening. I'm asking no questions. All right, what am I acting like I want? Oh, that's easy. I'm acting like I want to win. Be right. Save face. Okay, good. Now, the second is, what do I really want? What do I really want? And if you just sit with that question for 10 seconds, if you're reproving one of your kids, if you're in a debate with us, with your spouse, if you're, you're arguing with a colleague at work and you just stop and ask, what do I really want? All the good stuff comes back to the surface. And as I did that talking to Carrie, took a breath, said, what am I acting like I want? All right, here it goes. I'm acting like I want to win. What do I really want? What I want is for Carrie to know that I love and respect him. What I really want is for this chapter to come out having the best of both of our thinking in it. As soon as I said that, it was as though the demon left. <laughs> you know? yeah. it, it was all, all of a sudden there was a calm and a focus in my body and the words tumbled out of my mouth. And Jan, I didn't have to concoct these words. I didn't have to assemble or create them. They just naturally flowed. And the words were, sorry, Carrie, that was rude. All I'm doing is pointing out everything that I disagree with. And 99% of what's in there, I agree with. I apologize. Can we start again? Change the course of the conversation. Change the outcome of the chapter. But it all begins, as you said, with starting with heart. With noticing when my motives get off track and using these two simple but potent interventions. What am I acting like I want? And what do I really want to get myself back to who Joseph really is? Oh, I, and and thank you again. I mean, I'm just soaking it all up. I know these things from reading and being a part of Crucial Learning for so long, but it's just amazing to be reminded of this over and over again. And one message that there's so many messages, but something that really kept running through my mind as you were sharing that great example between you and Carrie is that it's never too late. Mm -hmm. It's never too late in a conversation, in a relationship to turn it around with that heartfelt, those heartfelt questions to yourself. The whole, what am I acting like I want and what do I really want? Mm -hmm. Because like you said, you rebuke the demon then. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. I think that's important for our listeners to really understand in effective communication during these crucial moments that it's never too late. Do not think that anything is too far gone, right? 
Yeah, and in fact, intuitively, we all know that, and even experientially, that that if intimacy is the goal in most of our relationships, and and by intimacy, that could be at work, just that there's trust and love and respect for each other, and at home, it means something even deeper. But if if that's the goal, uh, a rupture in a conversation is an opportunity for accelerated intimacy. You know, held, held right, crucial conversations are intimacy accelerants. They bring us together, even if they don't go flawlessly. And all that's required for us to end in a good place is enough humility that we own our part. So a, a, a sincere and heartfelt apology doesn't just cover up for the mistake. It often does even more because what it reveals to the other person is that my ego is less important than our relationship. That's what an apology says. And so don't despair if they don't go perfectly. Just be willing to navigate forward. Mm, Yes. Amen to that humility. That's such a great principle that we all need to be reminded of. And I absolutely really am inspired by the fact that these moments, these crucial conversations can can be intimacy accelerators. That is a beautiful concept that I hope our listeners right now are just letting wash over them. Um, These are all opportunities. So thank you for sharing that. All right. I know um, we just have a few more minutes before Joseph is going to have to leave us. Now, the show is going to go on, but I am curious from your perspective, what kinds of crucial conversations are you facing more now compared to maybe 15, 20 years ago in your life, in your career growth? What What's the difference? that you're seeing in the conversations? That's a great question. And, uh, and I, I haven't thought about that question, but it, it, it's, a, uh, it, it's a blessing to me to be asked it because the, the life stage that I'm at, we now have adult children, which means that we also have some in-laws, daughters-in-law, sons-in-law, and we have grandchildren. And so these are relationships I care deeply about but have less influence with. And that adds complexity to a crucial conversation. So having a daughter-in-law who's sensitive about how, whether or not she fits in our family and, uh, and who might have opinions that differ somewhat from mine at times. It's a more fragile relationship, but an equally important relationship to the one that I have with her husband, with my son. And mm-hmm. so I think the, the, the complexity of some of my crucial conversations is ratcheted up. Secondly, I'm involved with a school called the Other Side Academy. I There we have about 140 people with long criminal uh, backgrounds, uh, people with long histories of homelessness, and I'm deeply involved with a lot of them as they struggle to change their lives. Those are very crucial conversations. And my being hyper alert to the fact that their life experiences are so profoundly different than mine, and that words that I use in my conversation with them might, might signal completely different things than I intend has uh, has added some challenge to me in my crucial conversations. Oh, and I am very familiar with your work with the Other Side Academy, and I think it is amazing. And and the dichotomy of those crucial conversations that you mentioned, the the daughter-in-laws and the son-in-laws that are entering into your life and the grandchildren that like you mentioned you do not have as much influence Because you're not the direct parent, right? But then on the flip side of that, these people that have 
such diverse and very different backgrounds and life experiences with drugs and criminal activity and how you are pouring into them and the crucial conversations. But both areas just contain so much sensitivity. And navigating through that is one thing that starting with our heart, making sure our motives are right, and, you know, equipping ourselves with the skills in your book really help help every situation. Um, so I really appreciate you sharing that. Now, before I let you go, I just have one more question. What would you, if you could go back in time to your 18-year-old self, what advice would you give yourself at 18, knowing what you know now? Oh, that's that's reaching deep, and uh, and I and if I could have that conversation with that 18-year-old self, my primary message would be one that would apply to him nine years later when he became a parent for the first time, and that is, you don't have to fix it all now. Um, you know that that the quality of the conversation matters more than the quality of the outcome, and uh, and I think if if I could help him to to know that. If he just shows up right and speaks the truth in love and uh, gets through that conversation well, that it can take years sometimes to get to the place he hopes it'll be, and you don't have to force it. I think that is a beautiful note to end on with you, Joseph, that the quality of the conversation is so much more important than the quality of the outcome, and to always speak truth in love when we show up. Ah. I am just filled with so much love, so much gratitude, and so many insights from our time together today, Joseph. I truly cannot thank you enough for your generosity in joining us. Are there any last words you'd like to say before we take our first break? I'll I'll share for me the uh, the the central challenge I think for my life is uh, is learning to 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 live with imperfect people and. Uh, and uh, people just like me. And uh, and I think that's why Crucial Conversations is really so absolutely critical. It's not about rolling over and becoming a doormat for others' weaknesses. And it's also not about trying to impose our will on others. It's about learning to converse and connect. And uh, I hope today is helpful for your listeners. Oh, I know it has been, and it has been for me. And thank you. Thank you again, Joseph, for your time. And uh, we are going to take a break right now on this note, but don't go anywhere. We will be back in two minutes to continue our conversation about communication and emotions and heart. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you ready to ignite your passion and purpose for life? Make sure you join Jan Jones each week for the Good Good Life podcast. Each week, Jan will share her expertise and insights into personal development as well as spiritual growth discoveries. From the challenges in the valleys to the victories on the mountaintops, Jan has persevered through all of them with unwavering faith and joy. Life is full of possibilities, and Jan wants to walk with you as you discover those possibilities and unleash your full potential. Rekindle the spark inside of you and rejoice in the good, good life. 
with Jan Jones, where we will all love living and live loving. Become a member of VoiceAmerica.com. It's easy and best of all, it's free. Start out by going to our homepage or any of our channels and click register at the top. Once you've created an account and signed in, you can create your own custom library, opt into our newsletter, search by show, host, guest, or topic of interest, or browse millions of hours of content across all of our Voice America radio channels. Membership gets you more. Visit VoiceAmerica.com today to get started and tailor the listening experience to your taste. Connect with us, and we'll connect with you. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is on LinkedIn. Get the first word about happenings with the network, where our next live event will be, and what's up with our hosts. Look up Voice America on LinkedIn. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Welcome back to The Good, Good Life with Jan Jones. If you have a question or want to share your story with Jan or her guests, feel free to join us on the show at 888-346-9141. That's 888-346-9141. Now back to the show with Jan. Welcome back, everyone. Oh, my goodness. I am just so overjoyed that we had the amazing Joseph Grinney with us for the first segment of the show. As you can imagine, he is in high demand, so the graciousness of his time was such a gift to all of us. He had to go on, but we are going to go on with the conversation about crucial conversations. And I mentioned this while I was speaking with Joseph about how real the book is. And he already touched on so many real life examples that he shared with all of us. But what I thought I would do in this next little segment before we take our next break is I wanted to go through In the book, Crucial Conversations, there is a chapter, and it's called Yeah, But. And I love that because sometimes people really push back on how well these techniques and this whole understanding your motive can work. And so just to give a little preview in the book, of some of those scenarios, some of those really, really tough scenarios. So I'm just going to read a couple of those so you will get an idea about how wonderful this book is. So one of the topics in the yeah, but chapter of the book is called regretting saying something horrible. Now, I don't know about you, but when our emotions kick in, This is when we say things that we really regret, that we act out of character of who we are. I will tell y'all, y'all know I lost my dad several years ago, but he was such a wonderful, smart man. And he used to tell me all the time, Jan, the reason people cuss is because they can't think of anything intelligent to say. I just hear my dad's little pearls of wisdom all the time. But, you know, the older I got, the more I realized he's really right. 
when our emotions take over and we're no longer thinking with that frontal lobe, that executive brain, we are thinking from our emotional brain and we're not clear. We are not thinking in a way that will keep us in dialogue. Just like Joseph shared, we either we either shut down or we blow up. So this is a great example, uh, regretting saying something horrible. And here's the yeah, but sometimes I let a problem go for a long time. And then when I bring it up, I say something just awful. How do I recover from this? And, you know, we talked about it with Joseph. It is never too late. And uh, I love how he put it that these moments, these opportunities can actually be intimacy accelerators. I think that just needs to be the the new motto for today and, and for the rest of our lives, really. But I want to read a little bit about how they say there's a danger point to this. When other people do things that bother us, And then we tell ourselves a story about how they're bad and wrong. We are setting ourselves up for an unhealthy conversation. Of course, when we tell ourselves an ugly story and then we sit on it, it only gets worse. Stories left unattended don't get better with time they ferment. Then when we eventually can't take it anymore, we say something we regret. So again, these are some of the moments and I would imagine we've all been there. I know I have. I have said things that I wish I had not said for whatever reason, whatever emotion was boiling up, but especially as the book goes on into detail about how to address this when we let things fester. Because oftentimes when we let things fester, they actually come out even stronger and worse than if we said it at the very beginning. You know, timing really is everything. Um, There is another, yeah, but this one, I think, really can be related to a lot of people. It's called vague but annoying. Yeah, but the person I'm thinking of doesn't do blatantly unacceptable things, nothing to write home about, just subtle stuff that's starting to drive me crazy. (gasps) Can anyone relate to that? This might be one of those things that, um, you know, Joseph said, oftentimes it's the ones we love the most that we treat the worst. And we get fixated. I want to pause here for a minute. We get fixated on what people are doing that we don't like or what they're not doing for us. And if we fixate on these things, whatever we're focused on That's what we're going to get more of. And I love the questions that Joseph threw out there that we've got to ask ourselves, how am I acting what I really want and what do I really want? So we've got to recognize that our body language, our facial expressions, our tone, all of that, it's telling everyone how we really feel, but we may not be in some respectful dialogue. So when things are really uh, getting on your nerves and driving you crazy, 
you really have to watch out and not focus on that and start really trying to get into dialogue by asking you those asking yourself those questions. I mean, we also have to consider the relationships. You know, how important is this relationship? And I hope that you're understanding that every relationship that we're in is very important. I mean, he talked about different levels and different ways that we have intimacy with people. And it's very different in our personal life than it is at work. But at work, intimacy really is love and trust and productivity, collaboration, understanding. Those things equate intimacy. And we need those things to be fulfilled in our job, to be productive in our job, and to enjoy and know that we are contributing. And once we're doing it all together, it really is a bonding experience when we brainstorm together, when we problem solve together. And I absolutely love the example that Joseph shared of him and his co-author and business partner and longtime friend, Carrie Patterson, about how they just immediately started spiraling downward, or Joseph did. Um, He so graciously confessed in that interaction while they were even writing this book. So again, going back to our motive, And are we really fixated on the wrong things? Can we shift this annoying behavior that is driving us crazy, like the example gives in the book? Can we shift that and get into really appreciating someone for who they are, the talents they have, how they contribute, and start really giving them the dignity that they deserve as a human being? So these are great examples in the book. Um, let's see. I'm just thumbing through the book here. I want to I wanna touch on a couple more. I mean, there's a lot of these. I'm not going to go through all of them. But there's one here called Failed Trust. I don't know what to do. I'm not sure I can trust this person. He missed an important deadline. Now I wonder if I should trust him again. So again, these are real life scenarios. Here's the danger point. People often assume that trust is something you have or don't have. Hold on. Let me see. I lost my place. (laughs) Um, Either you trust someone or you don't. That puts too much pressure on trust. What do you mean I can't stay our past? I can't stay out past midnight. Don't you trust me? Your teenage son may inquire. Trust doesn't have to be universally offered. In truth, it's usually offered in degrees and is very topic specific. It also comes in two flavors, motive and ability. For example, you can trust me to administer CPR if needed. I'm motivated. But you can't trust me to do a good job. I know nothing about it. I think that is very insightful that we think it's an all or nothing concept and principle, this word trust. 
Um, that's such a great example, too, when your teenagers are like, what do you mean I can't have a, a later curfew? Don't you trust me? That's kind of a loaded question, isn't it, coming from a teenager? Well, I guess coming from anyone, really. Um, so lots and lots of great real-life scenarios that we often don't know how to handle. And this topic of crucial conversations and really starting with heart, it begins with us, you know, I've said this before, but I think I'm going to mention it again because it's just hitting my heart right now. We look to other people when we want change. We look to other people when we want something fixed. And oftentimes, this is what really drives a wedge in the relationship. So we've got to start with us. We cannot change people, but we can change ourselves. And one thing that Joseph said that I absolutely love, that this is a lifelong learning process. I have mentioned it before. I'm a firm believer that maturity is a lifelong process. I will never have arrived this side of heaven. And that's kind of exciting that there is opportunity every single day, almost every hour of the day where we can learn, we can pause, we can respond in such a healthier, more respectful way if we just check ourselves and see where our heart is in the situation and stop trying to change and control and compel and all of the things that we want to do, save face, prove we're right and they're wrong. A lot of the stuff that Joseph and I talked about, if we just stop and say, wait a minute, what, what do I want? I don't want a fight. I don't want um, a, a, a damaged relationship. I don't want to not be able to collaborate with this person at work again. I don't want a wedge between my spouse and I. I don't want my children to stop sharing things with me. I mean, there are so many things that we can say, that's not what I want. What I do want is love. And what I do want is information and knowledge and collaboration. And the only way we'll get that is if we can really hold these conversations in those moments and make it so much healthier. And, you know, enjoy this good, good life while we are having these crucial conversations. You know, the tagline for my show is love living and live loving. And Joseph said it, we can speak truth in love. All right, this is a great place for everyone to process what we're talking about today. Um, we're going to take one more short little break because I want to touch on the emotions behind all of this. When we come back, talking about communication really does begin with the heart. And we are so glad Joseph Grinney was with us. So don't go anywhere. We will be right back with The Good Good Life in just a couple of minutes. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Are you ready to ignite your passion and purpose for life? Make sure you join Jan Jones each week for the Good Good Life Podcast. 
Each week, Jan will share her expertise and insights into personal development, as well as spiritual growth discoveries. From the challenges in the valleys to the victories on the mountaintops, Jan has persevered through all of them with unwavering faith and joy. Life is full of possibilities, and Jan wants to walk with you as you discover those possibilities and unleash your full potential. Rekindle the spark inside of you and rejoice in the good, good life with Jan Jones, where we will all love living and live loving. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Unravel the mysteries of metaphysics every week on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Join host Barb Crowley as she and her insightful guest share what's been learned behind the veil, going just beyond our five senses. Now you can see things with an entirely different point of view. Tune in for Metaphysics, A View Through the Veil, broadcasting live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Use it to explore your advantage and deeper understanding. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Welcome back to The Good, Good Life with Jan Jones. If you have a question or want to share your story with Jan or her guests, feel free to join us on the show at 888-346-9141. That's 888-346-9141. Now back to the show with Jan. Welcome back, everyone, to The Good, Good Life. We are talking about communication today and how it really does start with heart. And we had an amazing guest, Joseph Grinney. Again, I'm just so grateful for his time, his expertise that he shared with us. Um, so what I want to get into now, speaking of our heart and, and those strong emotions that can kick in, um, I want to touch on that a little bit because I'm going to go ahead and give you a little teaser. In just a couple of weeks, I have got another great expert joining me, and we're going to be talking all about emotional intelligence and how we can connect that to living this good, good life. But it really does all just beautifully fit together in our life of these puzzle pieces that we're trying to fit together. You know, Joseph said it. I just keep quoting everything he said. I, I can't wait to listen to this over and over again just to hear him. Um, but he said, we're living in a world with imperfect people. And that includes you and I. We cannot demand perfection when we cannot deliver on perfection. And so it really does come with a lot of feelings, a lot of misinterpretations. All of these are areas that the book touches on. But when we think about the emotions behind whether or not 
we are holding these conversations well. Um, there is a great little test that Crucial Learning has developed in the book called Crucial Conversations, and it's your style under stress. And what it really tells you is your natural instinct when you are stressed out, when you have those emotions and someone is opposing your opinion and the stakes are always high um, in these situations because maybe the relationship might get damaged or maybe the deadline might get missed or there could be so many things. Maybe in patient care, there's quality at risk or any job really. We've got to pay attention to our safety and our quality for our employees, but Aside from all of that, this style under stress, it lets you see, and you got to be honest with yourself, whether you're the type that shuts down and goes to silence when you're stressed out, or do you go to what they refer to as verbal violence, raising your voice, maybe yelling, storming out, using a uh, position to get your way, things like that. So it's a great little test, your style under stress, because one thing that I have said over and over again in this show is I want us to have better self-awareness. We cannot develop ourselves if we are not aware of who we are, what's important to us, and how we react and respond when we are stressed out. So I want us all to be able to have higher, better self-awareness, which then leads into wonderful, amazing social awareness where we do interact and we have great collaborations and we take these critical moments as opportunities and then going higher, a personal goal I have is everyone's spiritual awareness and really connecting to who you are in Christ. So we've got to get in touch with our emotions. And there are different ways that we do that. And we'll definitely get more into this conversation in a later show. But we've got to be able to, A, identify the emotions and then manage the emotions. So what do I mean by identifying our emotions? Well, we need to know what our pressure points are, what those triggers are. Like like the, the difficult case, the hard case in the book, one of them is all about, you know, this person isn't really doing anything terrible, but they just keep getting on my nerves. Well, we need to really examine why. Why does someone get on our nerves? And we already talked about that in the previous segment. So we've got to get in touch with our emotions. We don't need to ignore them because this is where a lot of the conversations that we're not holding well, it's because of that adrenaline and these emotions that kick in. So we need to really examine and identify the emotions, where they're coming from, why we've got them, what is that self-talk in our head, the stories we tell ourselves. There's a great, great lesson in Crucial Conversations about this path to action. I'm not going to give it away, um, but we really need to identify where the emotions are coming from. And, you know, in previous episodes, I've talked about really controlling our thoughts, how we can do that. We've talked about self-talk and really getting rid of the negative self-talk 
And those absolutes of I always mess up or I never get this right because that's not even factual. So we definitely need to recognize it, but don't ignore our emotions because they are data points. They are telling us something, but we need to give ourselves some space before we let the emotions ruin a relationship. So understanding that, really uh, talking and, and considering what is causing me to say some of the things I say, like no one ever listens to me, or it'll always be this way. You know, well, you know, I was the only one that had the nerve to speak up. And now look, I'm the one getting in trouble. These are different self-talk that we have, but they're also playing into either being a victim or villainizing someone else or playing that helpless card. And again, these are all great lessons from Crucial Conversations. But I want you to stop and think in the next week before you join me again next Friday, which one of those do you play? Which one of these stories, these scenarios do you often use? Are you playing the victim? Are you villainizing others, which is keeping you from really great conversation? Or are you playing that helplessness? Like, well, it's just the way it is. We have no control over it. And you can always influence different situations. So think about that as you think about your emotions, where they're coming from, how you can manage them. So one thing I would like to do before we wrap up is I want to quote the amazing Mr. Rogers. And this came from his work with children. And of course, Mr. Rogers has passed away. And this was such a long time ago, but I think it's so relevant. And he wrote a song called, What Do You, what do, you do With the Mad That You Feel? What do you do with the mad that you feel when you feel so mad you could bite? When the whole wide world seems oh so wrong and nothing you do seems very right. What do you do? Do you punch a bag? Do you pound some clay or some dough? Do you round up friends for a game of tag or see how fast you go? It's great to be able to stop when you've planned a thing that's wrong and be able to do something else instead and think this song. I can stop when I want to, can stop when I wish. I can stop, stop, stop anytime. And what a good feeling to feel like this and know that the feeling is really mine. Know that there's something deep inside that helps us become what we can. For a girl can be someday a woman and a boy can be someday a man. I think that that is a great place to end today, being able to take control of our emotions, use them for good, and have great success in these crucial conversations. Thank you for joining me. Thank you, Joseph Grinney, for your amazing insights today. I am floating on air right now. I'm so excited. I hope our listeners are. And I cannot wait for you all to join me next week for the good, good life. And I hope you all go out there and love living and live loving. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of The Good Good Life with Jan Jones. We hope today was meaningful for your personal journey. We'll be back next week. Until then, continue to love living and live loving.